Let me begin by reading and kind of setting us in Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. I'm, by beginning in verse 15, you'll notice that I'm, I'm starting almost in the beginning of a sentence. Paul has talked about various gifts that Christ has given to his church in the form of pastor teachers and you know, various leaders for the equipping of the saints, that's you, the members of the church, for the work of the ministry. But this morning, I really want to start our thought, thoughts by really focusing on verse 15, especially verse 16. Let me read God's word. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It's really that last phrase, the growth of the body, the building up of itself in love by every individual part that I want to talk to you about this morning. But before I go any further, let's pray. And I especially want to ask God to, that the words of my mouth would be pleasing to him. God, we pause. We thank you for the glorious truths we've sung this morning. Truths that are so wonderful, so rich, that our Lord and Savior is risen from the dead, that we who trust in him are dressed in your sight, in his righteousness, that we are justified, that we are cleansed. Such glorious things. Our hearts are so full that we could almost go home now and and just rejoice the rest of the day in the glory of the gospel. But you've commanded us when we meet together to give attention to the teaching of your word, and you've given pastor teachers to shepherd your flock And Lord Jesus, this morning, as as I want to speak with your people, I pray that we together would be very conscious of your presence by your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would have mercy and help me to speak truthfully, that I would speak in a way that would be helpful and truly edifying, building up this body. I ask this for your glory in this church. In Christ, your name. Amen. The title of this message I want to share with you this morning is Done with Deconstruction. Done with Deconstruction. I want to encourage you to be done with deconstruction. But instead, to join me, and and I know many of you are already doing this in building building. I'm not talking this morning primarily about a physical building. Uh, We are in the middle of a building project, but the building project I'm talking about is is not sheetrock and studs. It's it's a much more significant building project. And I'm speaking to people this morning. You're here. You're you're at church, and I assume that you have an interest in the church. Um, Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Um, but this morning, I want to step back and I want to try to help you, if I can, how understand 
the time in which we're living and how urgent it is that every single one of us here who claims Christ, that we consider our individual part in the building up of the body that is the church in love. And so in order to help you that, I really have to help you with some background, and this may sound for a few moments like you're in a college lecture, <laughs> um, but we're really, um, I need to help you, because it's not a matter of just commitment. That's not what I'm just calling for this minute, but pastors are calling, for, no, actually it's, it's really not what I'm after this morning. What I'm after in, in some of you is a fundamental shift in your thinking, very deep, that will influence commitment. But it's much deeper than just commitment. So I want to help you. Let's step back and look for a few moments. As Then we'll come back to God's word. I want to end by helping you think about how we can build up the church. I want to look at God's word, a few verses in that vein. We have lived for many decades now here, at least in the West, in Europe, here in the United States, in a society of deconstruction. You know what it is to construct something. When you construct something, you, you, you have a plan, you're considering how to build it. Some of us, uh, especially maybe little boys, um, we loved building with blocks and Legos or whatever the case may be. I, I know girls enjoy building as well. Construct is to, is to build something, is, is to have a plan and after you're done constructing, there is a form, there is a shape, there is a structure, there is an institution that does some good or is pleasing to the eye and so forth. Deconstruction does just the opposite. And deconstruction has been around since Satan tempted Eve when Satan called God's word into question Really what Satan was doing was deconstructing what God had said to Adam and Eve and calling Eve to join him in deconstructing what God had said, dismantling it, questioning it, and tearing down. So deconstruction has been around a long time. It's as old as sin. But more recently, deconstruction as a philosophy, as a, as a way of living, became prominent as approached originally as a deconstruction as a movement it became prominent as an approach to language and language studies the area of meaning and how do you, how do you understand a text or a narrative a book or a writer what he's saying and that was that philosophy was really the father of it if you will but he had many co-workers was a a guy named Jacques Derrida. Um, I first learned of him in a college class, and I was an English literature major, and, and so we had to study various forms of literary analysis. And Jacques Derrida, essentially in his writings, proposed that there is no stable or fixed inherent meaning in a text or a story. There's no inherent, stable, permanent, fixed meaning or interpretation of a text or a writing. 
And he was alive in the 60s. Uh, you not, won't be surprised that it was in the late 60s that that deconstructionist uh, idea as far as a view of interpreting literature became prominent, invaded all of the various institutions of higher learning. But by the time I was reading some of Derrida's work in college in the early 90s, deconstruction had already permeated the ethos of the Christian colleges I went to. I went to two different Christian colleges. They were already infiltrated at almost every department by deconstructionism. Again, deconstruction questions whether there's any stable, fixed, permanent values. It's very closely associated with postmodernism and pluralism. But deconstruction takes something apart, dismantles it, and then asserts that there's no original design, there's no original meaning, there's no certain way that those different constituent parts had to be put together. It's destructive. It deconstructs. And so I didn't know it at the time, but I took a, an elective class on English grammar. Again, I was an English lit major, and I was studying to be an English high school teacher. And so I figured I, I have better beef up on grammar. So I took a higher level grammar class. I didn't know it at the time, but this brilliant professor, I thought was brilliant at the time, the entire semester was spent with him teaching us why all the rules we've been taught in grade school growing up aren't true. I didn't know it, but he was deconstructing English grammar and essentially asserting there are no rules, there are no patterns, so get over it. Not surprisingly, I took another elective with that professor and a few other English Lit Department professors on the nature of language, and, and soon in that class at a Christian college, the students in the class were encouraged because, the meta, because all language is metaphorical and you can deconstruct the meaning, and because times have changed, and because we no longer are in a patriarchal or society with kings, we need new names and metaphors for God. And so here we are in this Christian class at a Christian college, and we're writing hymns to God, the great mother in the sky, the weaver and dancer, and, and, and so forth. That was in the early 90s. That's deconstructionism. There's no stable, inherent, timeless, fixed inherent meaning. Well, that started in the language departments in schools, but that's gone to every facet, now even math departments. And in our day, um, deconstruction has gone beyond higher learning. It's gone beyond colleges, whether liberal or conservative, and it has infiltrated the entire society. We live where at a time when deconstruction has reached every discipline, every corner of society, you live, whether you know it or not, in a hyper-deconstruction zone every day. Virtually every norm, every institution, every practice has been analyzed and criticized. That's what deconstruction does. It analyzes it, criticizes it, critiques it, takes it apart. Every norm, every institution, every practice in our culture has been so analyzed and criticized so that we live now in a culture, listen, of pieces. Do you see it? Pieces. Let me give you some examples. 
The family has been deconstructed. Marriage has been deconstructed. History and meaning have been deconstructed. Roles and responsibilities have been deconstructed. And this may have once been primarily fueled by elite intellectuals like Jacques Derrida, who taught in universities, but now deconstruction is the religion of the land. It is embraced by the rank and file. You may have not gone to a college where you taught that. You may think, I, I don't have anything to do with that. That sounds very liberal. By the way, this deconstructionism is across the political spectrum, whether Republican or Democrat. It characterizes both parties. It is extensive. We live in a culture of pieces. We don't live in a culture anymore of norms or institutions. We don't live in a culture anymore that builds up or recognizes permanent realities. And the reason for that, the reason why deconstruction, the little lecture is going to get over here pretty soon, but you've got to understand this. It helps you understand the world you're living in. The reason why deconstructionism, I'm calling ism, is is a religion, really, at this point, why it is so prevalent, why it has pervaded every facet, family, government, society, young and old, men and women, conservative, liberal, is because deconstructionism and hyper-individualism feed off one another, like fire and oxygen. Hyper-individualism is the culture we live in. You don't really think of yourself anymore as part of a group of people. It's not how we think of ourselves. You think of yourself as an individual. And of course you are. You're creating the image of God as an individual. The Bible, of course, supports that. The Bible says that each man or woman will give an account for his or her deeds at the end of the day. So You are an individual, but our culture is hyper-individualistic, meaning that there is no, there are no, there are no, there are no forms or institutions that I as an individual inherently am part of. I determine what pieces or what institution I'll be a part of. This is a cult of self. It's about me and my life. And so deconstruction dismantles institutions like family, structures, churches. We'll talk about more in a moment. Hyper-individualism then, the reason why these two feed off of each other is because if, if the norms and the expectations have been dismantled, if marriage has been dismantled, if, if meaning has been dismantled, if, if uh, laws have dis- been dismantled, if there are pieces of the culture all around, what individualism does is for your own self-construct project, you take up this piece and you take up that piece and you take up that piece and you put them together to form you. This is why Facebook, and I'm not saying Facebook is all bad, I'm just saying social media is largely, and Instagram It's not all bad, but what people are doing is showcasing, I picked up this piece of the culture, I picked up this piece of the culture, and now this is me. I want to show you the new me, at least this month, and I'll show you the next me six months after I maybe get rid of a few pieces and take up a few pieces. Let me try to explain this 
Let's see if I can make a little more sense. At least restate that. In a culture and society gone to pieces, dismantled and torn apart mercilessly and relentlessly. Do you see that in our culture? I mean, we've seen this. Even I mentioned police officer, uh, a chief of police here in Chichester, and I, I appreciated meeting with him. Fascinating. My conversation with him, he just looked at me. He said, these are crazy days. Crazy days. You, you talk to any police officer or fire department in the area, and they will tell you, if they've been in the department for 5, 10, 15 years, what we're seeing right now, this is nuts. What is it? It's the dismantling and disintegration of virtually all norms, all meaning, all truth, all expectations. Deconstruction is coming to full blossom. So in a culture and society gone to pieces, dismantled by critique and attack, individuals have few, if any, norms they must submit to. Think about it. What does an individual have to submit to anymore? I'll give you a few examples in a moment. They don't have to, individuals don't have to submit to any objective truth. They don't have to submit to any norms. They don't have to submit to any institution. Rather, they're free to select from among the pieces of the culture to construct themselves. They're free to pick from the dismantled pieces of the culture to construct themselves. I'm calling this the self-construct project. And that's what most people are about. Through self-help, through therapy, and all therapy's bad. I'm just saying that it's all about self. It's all about I. It's all about how do I make me a better me. Even people going to church. The number one, often, if I'm talking to people, the immediate response is, I should go to church, I know, because it's good for me. Well, that's true. But in the New Testament, that is not the main reason you go to church. It's down the list. So let me, I need to give you a few examples. I need to bring this out of the clouds here. And again, we are going to end this with getting to the scriptures and thinking about how we can be part of building. That's what I'm after. But in order to build, we have to be done with deconstruction. And some of us are part of it. We don't even know it. We don't even see it. So, for example, in the area of marriage, we have witnessed the complete deconstruction of marriage. It's complete. It's done in our culture. How do you know that? I mean, we still have marriages, right? But we have witnessed the complete destruction, deconstruction and destruction of marriage. Why? How do we know that? Because now men and women have absolutely no compulsion whatsoever to somehow to submit to marriage as an institution. You don't have to anymore. I mean, you can live together, cohabit. Um, you can choose to live with whoever you want to and have sexual relations with. And, and no one now in the culture has any problem with it. And there's people have absolutely no pressure they should get married. Why? Because the institution of marriage as a, as a norm has been deconstructed and dismantled. So the should is gone. The should is gone because the marriage institution has been deconstructed. 
The, the only reason why people get married, I guess, these days is, again, for the self-construct profit, project. People could be living together for years. And, and again, I want to be, be careful here. I, I have known people I loved who, who lived together. They, they weren't taught from God's word. They've been lied to. And so they just didn't think it was a big deal. And, and so they were living in ignorance. And, and uh, again, the, the word of God, praise God, reaches all of us wherever we are. Let me say that out front. But I'm talking about big trends. And, and the reality is in our culture, the only reason people get married is it's part of the project of self, right? So you can be living together for years. And maybe finally... They get married because she wants a wedding. She always wanted a wedding. She wants pictures with a wedding dress. And, um, I mean, where else does a woman get to dress up and have that kind of party these days? Right? So I'm just showing, my illustration is not, I'm not, uh, my point is not necessarily to make a moral statement, although the Bible is clear about that. I'm trying to help you show that marriage has been deconstructed. It has no force anymore. It has no shape. If you want to get married, bonus. You can marry who you want. Men don't have to marry women. Women don't have to marry men. Uh, It's been completely deconstructed. Um, Politics. Deconstruction is a grip on our nation's capital. The reason why, why is Washington so dysfunctional? Because deconstructionism has invaded every single hall of our capital. Gone is any sense of needing conform to a rich history of decorum and respect for traditions and history. By the way, our current president and our former president, I'm going to get in trouble here. Our former president did a lot good. Thank God for some of the decisions he made. I'm so thankful for the Supreme Court appointees. But both our current president and our previous president are both deconstructionists. Tear down, destroy. Not much sense of respect for decorum and history. And you can say, well, when you're in a battle, you got to, oh, I'm getting off. I know some of you I'm going to have a little wrestle with there, but (laughs) match with. But my point is simply we live in a time where deconstruction has just taken over. No one has to submit to any external norms anymore. So you can be a complete fool. Say whatever you want. You don't have to submit to anything. This, a really silly example of this, but very real, just happened. Some of you have seen in the news that uh, Chuck Schumer just um, made it possible so that there's no longer any dress code in the senator. So if you want to wear shorts and a hoodie and you're a senator and you want to conduct the nation's business, go for it. I have nothing against hoodies. I actually, I actually have like four because hoodies for a bald man are a gift. I mean, if you see me in the morning, I mean, uh, I typically have a hoodie on over my bald head because it's cold. I love hoodies. I mean, they are great. Um, whoever designed them should get a Nobel Peace Prize. So I, you know, it, it's not about, and I, I have nothing against shorts. I love shorts. But the reason why there was a dress code was not about some silly thing about hang out in suits and ties. It was the idea of you belong to a historic institution. This is not about you. This is about your role and your function. And there's a certain uniform. Most devastating is the current deconstruction of male and female. Deconstruction is even hit there. People now really believe that your gender is your own self-project. They've so they've somehow divorced gender from biological sex, which of course is absolute idiocy. 
But that's what deconstruction does. Again, it says, right, it, it takes apart. It says there's no inherent design here. There's no fixed, objective, permanent reality. And so you can take apart and then make up what you want. So now deconstruction has even hit our boys and girls and the culture saying, eh, you don't want to be a boy, you got to be a boy. And your gender can be different from your biological sex. Of course, it's a lie. He, she, her, him, these pronouns and others now have no meaning except what you, the individual, may or may not give to such pronouns and almost an infinite number of other self-identifiers you might wish to pick up from the pieces of the culture and add to your own little self-project. And as for your biological sex, we now have drugs and surgeries that can help you deconstruct even your biological sex so that you can have a body more in keeping with what your self-construct project wishes. Deconstruction. You see it everywhere. You live in a culture of deconstruction, of all norms, all expectations. It's more than just our culture is immoral. It's, it's destructive. And if there is anywhere, anyone who stands up and says that there's an objective, permanent truth, everyone jumps on them. E- even conservative and liberal, we have embraced this idea that, well, you know, you just be you. You just live the way you want. That's the language of deconstruction. Hyper-individualism deconstruction. Well, this morning, of course, I'm most concerned about the church and how this movement meets the church. And I need to tell you this morning that the church, and I'm thinking of the evangelical church, the church has been deconstructed too. Over the past 30 years in particular, the evangelical church has been so analyzed, so critiqued, so remade, so redone, so re-envisioned, so, so analyzed according to every single different business leader's model that what you have left is just pieces. Little pieces. Church has been so critiqued. Everybody's got their idea now of what they want in church. Everybody wants a church. Um, that has this and that and that and hopefully all of those, but, and if not, I'm, I, the individual, I'm going to go shopping for something different. Churches exist now, apparently, to help individuals with their self-project, their self-spiritual project. The evangelical church has just absolutely capitulated to the consumer mentality the hyper individualism of the day and has basically said it's it's really horrible has misrepresented christ lying lying to sinners saying oh you're here uh the way that god loves you is we'll do anything 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 to make you happy and to please you to have you a good experience because after all it's about you that's a lie because God is glorious and the church is for his glory. So the church is being deconstructed. And the church has been deconstructed, at least here. I'm from Loudoun, originally from New Hampshire. I've worked and ministered in Maine and now in New Hampshire for 25 years. And 
I was once early on, early days, I was, I was pretty hot. I was part of that um, deconstruction process. There are some here who knew me as a young green pastor. Uh, it's this illustration I've shared before, but I, I once actually seriously by myself took apart with my hands, with a screw gun, the pulpit that I sat under as a junior high and high schooler because pulpit. I mean, it's so old fashioned and I'm just saying I, I was once pretty hot to trot for deconstructing, criticizing the church, its old ways. But I've seen the effect of that. And I'm standing before you this morning and I'm telling you I am done with deconstruction. I've been done for a while, but I'm asking you to join me. Be done with it. Done with it. Done with deconstruction. Now, I need to clarify here. The Bible calls for reformation. And you notice in our church name, Reformation Bible Church. The Bible calls for the church and for believers to examine our lives in the light of God's word to identify areas that are out of line with God's word, sometimes to remove and even destroy things that are set up against Christ or displeasing to God. So reformation does sometimes involve taking away or destroying or removing. But biblical reformation, listen very carefully, always analyzes or critiques or tears down for the purpose of restoration and building up. Biblical reformation is always for the purpose of building the church up ultimately. That's what biblical reformation does. Deconstruction doesn't do that. It critiques the church, it analyzes the church, it subjects the church to surveys and all kinds of stuff. And we have been subjected to that for so many decades now that the church, at least in this little corner of the globe, is left battered, weak, sick, faint. It is. It is. It's not strong. There's, there's signs of life among you, and I'm just so thrilled to be a part of this church. But I, I talk to probably eight to ten different pastors who are friends, maybe once a month around New England. and Deconstruction is hitting the churches hard. So I'm, I'm, what I'm calling you to do this morning is do your part, Ephesians 4. Do your part, believer, in building the church up. Now, I know you want to. I think you want to. Again, you wouldn't be here. And I know that you've, if you're here, you probably think some of the examples I gave, you know, you agree that that's wrong, deconstructing marriage. You think that's wrong. You think, you think deconstructing all traditions and, and ways of living is wrong. You certainly think deconstructing male and female is wrong. I know you think that's wrong. But... Unfortunately, deconstruction of the church happens not from without, but from within. 
the, the real pressure on the church is not, you know, the culture at large. Yeah, somebody lit off fireworks this past week. I don't know. Maybe they didn't like us, but I really don't think that was their issue. I just think they were some goofs who were just didn't have anything better to do. We have people going by, I know, who don't like us. But the change, the threat to the church in the New Testament is never really from without. The church has never really, wasn't even threatened under like emperors like Nero in, in persecution. The threat to the church in the New Testament is always within. And we may not know it, but within us may be the deconstructionist spirit more than we want to acknowledge. Um. I'm afraid we might have become deconstructionists more than we would like to know. I need to move quickly. <laughs> everyone, let me get a point. Everyone, everyone has their own ideas today. Oh, that's good you have ideas. But everybody has their own ideas rather passionately as to what the church should be, what the church should like, what the church should provide, what the church should believe or not believe, practice or not practice, not expect. So much so that the church is being picked to death by 10,000 different personal preferences. And I'm just telling you, it won't work. If maybe there was one day where it was okay, where maybe one day, once upon a time, the church was so strong that you could do that kind of thing and she could sustain it. I'm, I'm, I'm sounding the alarm bell and I'm saying to you, she can't sustain it anymore. This means some of us need to really get clear. I'm, I'm going to give you some practical examples in closing here in a few minutes. <laughs> but the hyper-individualism and everybody coming to the church with their own personal preferences, and maybe some of them are good. And my purpose here, by the way, is not really to critique you. I'm trying to help you understand. When you have that dynamic, it's, it's, like, it's kind of like the difference between 10 or 20 ticks on a moose in New Hampshire won't really hurt the moose. Put a few thousand, 10,000 ticks on a baby moose and they'll die. And that's why the moose population is going down. We live in an age which the church is just under that kind of pressure. We're hyper-individualism and hyper-deconstruction. Everybody's got to have it their way. Everybody's got to, it's got to line up. I mean, the thing's got to line up just so for me to participate in church. For me to put my elbow and shoulder into the work. Turn to Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to you. The word grief there can be also interpreted groaning. Um, I, I bring this verse because the, the pastors I know, they're not guys who are controlling people's lives, right? They're, they're, they're not sitting down with people saying, you know, you should marry so-and-so, you should, you know. That just wouldn't, they don't do that. They're shepherds' hearts. They love their sheep. I'm hearing groaning from the pastors that I know in faithful churches, and these guys love. What they're groaning about is this dynamic I'm talking about this morning. It just seems that there's a thousand different reasons why folks can't really consistently give themselves to the work of building up the church, or relatively few. 
It's just, it's just what it is. What are these guys looking for? Um, looking for, and I'm going to talk about just in closing, a few things you can do to build up. They're looking for consistency and worship attendance. It's a strange thing, partly post-COVID, but we've noticed, I'm talking to other pastors, we've noticed now worship of God, church attendance is kind of like, you know, when it works, uh, that's not going to build a church. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate, stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. Sounds a lot like Second Peter, huh? How do you stimulate one another? Um, I've said this, I really didn't mean this to be a slap on the wrist this morning. We, we have about 39 members at this point. Um, I confess I groan <laughs> when we have members who have made a covenant and uh, maybe we have 20 members at a meeting. That's what the other pastors are groaning over too. It's like, it just doesn't work. It, it won't work. Hi, Pastor. I had, I I know. Actually, there's some of you, if you listen to me, there's a few older ones who live at distance. You'll actually hear me saying to them, I don't want you to come to the meeting because I want you to stay home and safe. Don't come. Don't drive at night. Stay home. You can't come. Uh, You get sick. I get it. You have, you have a, I get it. But what I'm talking about is an, as an illustration of an overall ethos, a failure to understand that I am an individual part, Ephesians 4, and that if I don't show up, it's like, imagine if he showed up this morning and uh, some of those studs on that wall and the metal frames didn't show up. Now, have you ever noticed those studs in those frames? You haven't really noticed them, have you? I mean, they're kind of ugly looking. Building kind of looks like a storage station, I was told. You know, it kind of does. But you never noticed them. But I assure you, if a few of those studs in that wall and the sheetrock and the metal were, were right now, we would really notice it when those vehicles go by. You're like that. You're an individual part. So we, we live in a time of deconstruction. And I want to encourage you. I'm trying to just give you some examples about how your mindset changes. I'm really not after just more commitment. I'm really not just after mere attendance. It's, it's really not it. That it, but it's, it's more. So let's quickly, in closing, in the spirit of Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25, consider how to stimulate one another. Okay, so I don't want to be a part of deconstructing the church. I mean, the church is under assault. There are forces eroding the church on every side. The church is still standing, and the church will stand because Christ said he will build his church. But remember, Ephesians 4, as I read at the outset, said the body building itself up in love. Jesus does not build his church by any other means than individual blood-bought, redeemed sinners. That's the only way he builds his church because his church is comprised of people like you and like me. 
So it is very true that Jesus is the builder of the church, the architect. He said, I will build my church, and he will. But it is very true that we build by his grace, by reliance upon him and his power, we build the church. Ephesians 4, building itself up in love. No one else going to do it. I can't do it, by the way. The pastors can't do it. A few leaders can't do it. It's every individual part. So, in closing, how do we build the church? I really, I really wanted this to be encouraging this morning. I know it's a little heavy. I hope that whole first part of the message just helps you look at the society. Oh, everything's being dismantled. Everything's being deconstructed. Everything's being torn down. I don't want to be a part of that. Why? I have to say this before we get to the, just quickly the practical. You have to understand that Jesus Christ is adamantly opposed to the deconstructionist movement. Adamantly. Everything in the church. The church is the pillar and support of the truth. And as the church is the pillar and support of the truth, church is antithetical to the religion of deconstruction. Antithetical. Absolutely contrary. The church, the, the culture says, deconstruction says, do your thing, do whatever you want. The church, the word of God says, no, there's a God and there are his ways and you must repent and submit. The ch- culture says, no, male or female. The Bible says, male and female, he created them. The churches and the scriptures are antithetical, absolutely opposed to the deconstructionist movement. So we're done with deconstruction. And I'm asking you, join me, be done with it. Don't have anything to do with it. And be a builder. Be a builder. We sometimes hear about that, the builder, the generation after post-World War II. And especially this morning, I want to impress upon the younger generation here. You are the new builder generation. And I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. If you're banking on the church being already kind of so stable and still around for so long that you can just kind of carry on without being a part of building it, your head is in the sand. Your head is in the sand. You're a builder. You're a builder. You must build. You must build. So what do we do to build? Close quickly. Um, a few things. And I'm basing these off of Hebrews 10. Stimulate one another, love and good deeds. Uh, attend faithfully. I'm going to start there. Attend faithfully. You've got to be there. you just got to be there. Pastor's talking about church attendance. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And I don't care about the statistics. I don't care about the numbers, if you haven't figured out by now. I don't care about being able to say to somebody else, well, yeah, we had so many number of people in church. And I don't firstly, I do care for your soul, but I care about the church and the glory of Christ. You got to be there, whether it's this church or whatever church you're a part of. So what I'm saying isn't apply just to this church. Attend faithfully. Rearrange your life and your schedule so that the church, which is the representation of the kingdom of God on earth, the only timeless institution that is present now on earth, rearrange your schedule, your priority, your sleep, whatever you have to do to make the church of Jesus Christ have your first and your best. 
And what I'm saying, again, if I'm no longer pastor, I'm not here, what I just said is true. It's true in every single generation. The church is the visible expression of the kingdom of Christ on earth. It ought to have our best, our first, and you got to be there. You're one of the building blocks. The church is not the same without you, so attend faithfully. Attend thoughtfully, prayerfully, and eagerly. What I mean by that is do your best to try to get some rest. Do your best to plan, not just to show up. Sometimes, you know, this used to be interesting, you know, getting ready for church, getting the clothes ready for church. I'm not suggesting you change your, but I'm just saying there was actually a routine where Saturday night, moms and dads and the whole family would start to orient themselves, churches tomorrow. Now it's like church is like going to laundromat. It's just on the list of things to do. Don't do that. Build. Pray for the church. Pray for one another. I need to go quickly and close. Commit to a local church by becoming a member. The church is its members. There's no such thing. You, 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 some of you, we need to talk about this another time, but you cannot have a biblical functioning church without some form of membership. Not possible. So commit. I'm so excited recently we've had about eight or nine people join our fellowship and membership. Wherever church you are, a biblical church, join it. Submit your preferences. Submit your preferences. And once you identify, okay, this church is teaching the Bible. I know what it teaches for far of doctrine. It's historic Christianity. There may be a few places where I have a little bit difference, maybe a little. Um, but once you settle on that, deal with the things that you don't like and just commit yourself there. Give yourself to it. I had to learn this in Maine when I went from being a youth pastor with like 100 youth kids to being a church where the average age was 74, and I was 29. I had to figure out, well, am I going to adjust? Or I did, and it was the best thing for me. Submit your preferences. Don't expect the church to meet every one of your personal preferences. Um, Consider how you might give and contribute the time, talents, and resources the Lord has given you. Just think about how you can use that. Be thankful. Be more thankful for what is good and true. As we live in a deconstructionist culture, we see dismantling and destruction all around us. The temptation for us is to be doom and gloom people. And and that really is not the spirit of my... Christ is building his church here. You are, many of you are participating and you're giving yourself and I want to encourage you to keep it up. We need to be thankful. What God has given us is so good. We have his word. We have his gospel. We have his praise. We are so blessed. We have Christ. So let's be thankful, people. Especially, especially as politics season ramps up. You know, you can follow it, but remember the only politics that really matters at the end of the day is Jesus Christ is Lord. Sing to the Lord. You sang great this morning. That's been a joy to hear you. Sing to one another. Build up. Ask and listen to one another. Minister to one another. These are, in a hundred different ways in the New Testament, are ways that you can be a part of building up. But dear brothers and sisters, in the time of deconstruction we're in, just be done with it. I... And I guess if I really boiled it down, I, I, why did I want to share this with you this morning? I, I want to see you 
But I want you to know what we're doing and why we're doing it is not just because, you know, that's the way you do it. Everything we're doing is very intentional. And I, as a pastor, am trying to lead us in following the word of God. And I just, I just want to build. I just want to build up the church. That's all I want to do with whatever years left I have. I spent enough time deconstructing the church. I, I, I've spent enough time. I'm done with it. I, I, just want to, I just want to use whatever gifts I have, whatever time I have. I just want to build up the church. Whether I like the church, whether it's the way I think I should be or not, it, that's all I want to do the rest of my days. And I guess I'm asking this morning, please help me. Not for my sake, not for the sake of this church, but for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's build his church and know all the while that he's the one who's building it in and through us. Let's pray. Well, what a privilege it is, Lord Jesus, to be a part of your church, your people. And um, I pray this morning as you help folks reflect on what I've said. I pray that what was true and helpful will remain and what was unhelpful will be forgotten. We ask that your spirit would help us to set aside the sin which so easily entangles us and trips us up. And that as those who are bought with your precious blood, as slaves of the Lord Jesus, that you would help us to be a part of building up your church. Wherever you may call us to serve, maybe there's some here that are going to be a part of another local biblical church. We pray that this will become characteristic of your people here and there in these days for your glory and honor. Amen.